Welcome to each of you who have come today just to get out of the house, right? <clears throat> and uh, are otherwise here to worship God, I trust. And if you are visiting with us, we're just uh, real happy to have you here and um, hope that uh, you will be back to worship with us on many, many future occasions. Carolyn, I think Norman's looking for y'all. <laughs> I'm, I'm traffic director this morning as well as pastor. Um, in your bulletin are some important announcements. Um, want to call attention just a couple. One is that um, Council of Ministries meets today at 4 o'clock. Um, we invite our members of that committee to be present. You'll please notice in your bulletin uh, lots of uh, important announcements for the children, like their their program tonight, their um, choir and educational program, and um, also information about the Make a Swish fundraiser and uh, other events that are being planned uh, for February. We have received word this morning that Kim Doby is back in the hospital having had another little mini stroke, and so our thoughts and prayers are with her. Uh, we've had a couple of families to experience death this last week. One is Ronnie Newton, uh, uh, Ron's father, Mr. Newton, passed away. And also Diane Arthur uh, lost her mother this past week, and our thoughts are with them. Other announcements. Oh, I know what else I wanted to, to point out. i got to point this out. How did any one woman put up with Broadus Dobson for 65 years? Broadus. <laughs> we know that to be true. <laughs> Congratulations to you both, and we celebrate with your family that good news. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
Our affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed found on page 881. Let us confess our faith using this historic creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. <clears throat> this time I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Peggy Smith for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. It's been an exciting week, hasn't it? I kind of got tired of staying at home. How about you? Yeah, I went kind of stir crazy. This is what my part of my yard looked like last sun Sunday morning when I woke up. What do you see? Dirt. That's kind of what it looked like. And, you know, I went to bed and they said it was going to snow and I really didn't believe them. And I woke up, I don't know why, but I woke up about 4.30 in the morning, and I just said, ah, oh, let's see what's happened. And I looked out my window of my bedroom, and I just could not believe it. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It had snowed. It looked like somebody took a bucket of snow and just dumped it outside my window. It was so beautiful, and it was so thick and deep. And so when I woke up... This is what my yard looked like. What is this? Snow. And the snow covered up my whole yard like that. It covered up all the dirt and all the grass and everything. And did, when, you went, when you looked out, did it look different in your yard? It sure did. It looked real different. And I couldn't tell where the sidewalk was or the driveway or... There were things out in my backyard that were covered up. Well, God tells us a story, and he tells us in Isaiah, he's kind of like the snow. He makes us different. He says, sometimes our lives are like the dirt. And I think he means when we sin, when we aren't very nice to our brothers or sisters or a friend, or we don't do what mom and dad tell us to do or when we don't really tell the truth, we're kind of like the dirt. And if you've ever seen a snowflake under a microscope or a picture of a snowflake, snowflakes are perfect things. They have, do you know how many sides they have? Six. All snowflakes have six sides. Every one of them, millions and zillions and trillions of them have six sides. And God is kind of like that snowflake. He is perfect. He is perfect in every way. And that's what a snowflake is. It's perfect. And God is like the snowflake in that he takes the dirt in our lives and he covers them up with beautiful, perfect, excuse me, perfect snow. And so he cleans our sins and he makes us perfect when we give our heart to him. And let, when we let him cover us with his perfectness and with the snow that will cover up our dirt. In Isaiah, this one I want you to remember, this is a, um, a reading from the Bible that tells us just about this. It says, in Isaiah 1.18, it says, No matter how deep the stain of your sins, no, how, no matter how much dirt you have in your life, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as fresh fallen snow. So isn't that great that God, 
like a perfect snowflake, can cover up the dirt and sins in our lives and make us perfect again. Isn't that wonderful? Let us pray and thank God for that. Dear God, thank you for being perfect, like the beautiful snowflakes. And thank you for covering up our sins. Okay, and before you go, I made you each a snowflake. Now, it doesn't look like a snowflake, but if you go home and you get your parents to cut on the lines, and then you open it up, it will be a beautiful snowflake. And I wrote in the middle the Bible verse for you, so you can remember, and when you... Do something you may not think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You can hang your snowflake up in your room, and you can go to your Bible and read that or have your parents read it to you, and you can remember if in our hearts we ask God to forgive us of our sins, he will. So here's you all a snowflake if you'd like one. Thank you. thought you'd brought me some snow ice cream. I got excited. Thank you. Our Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you're my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and rise up, princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 40 on page 774. I invite you to stand as you're able as we share this passage together responsively. <clears throat> I waited patiently for the Lord who inclined to me and heard my cry. The Lord drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the mud and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. The Lord put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and be in awe, and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. O Lord, my God, you have multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be numbered. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I say, 
I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I have not hid your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. O Lord, do not withhold your mercy from me. Our epistle lesson is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. In all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly Wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to belong to you. And you have provided the way for us to return to you. You have provided insight that we might know what you are like and revealed yourself to us in some wonderful ways through the scripture and also through the teachings and the person of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that those that you have called, you have also justified and sanctified. You have cleaned us up from our sins and we are thankful to be like that muddy hillside that was covered over by beautiful bright snow. How good it is to know, Lord, that you are the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world, that you are the one, Lord, who has been sent to be the one who would take away our sins so that we might be guilt-free and be able to come into the presence of Almighty God with a clean conscience and with thanksgiving. And Lord, we know that in the Old Testament only one person could appear and approach your holy presence in the temple. And yet, you have provided us a way through Christ to come right into your presence each and every day, to live in the presence of Almighty God but to not be afraid of your holiness, for you have made us free of sin. And we're grateful for this. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to live a life every day that points to the one who is the Lamb of God and the Savior of the world. We remember how John the Baptist came with one main mission that was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus into their lives and to point him out to them. Help us to be like that. Help us to live our lives with one main point always, to help prepare people for the coming of Christ into their hearts and to point him out as the one who brings peace and joy and hope to all of us, and we are grateful for the forgiveness that can be found through Christ. We are grateful for the peace that can be brought into, into communities through faith and trust in Christ and loving one another. And we pray, O oh Lord, for your work to prosper through us and others in our community, that we might be about that work of reconciling people to one another. Lord, our hearts are heavy as we remember people this week that are adjusting to life without someone they love and others who are tending to someone as they see them get more and more frail by the day. We pray your strength to be with those who attend the sick and for those who are mourning this day, may they find in you comfort and strength and hope. Lord, we believe that Jesus prepared a place for us to live in eternity in your heavenly home. And we believe this for those we've lost and we give you thanks that though they may feel lost to us, they are nevertheless found by you and preserved for all eternity in your presence. These things we pray in the name of Jesus, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us continue our worship of God by giving.
Our gospel lesson is from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Here ends the lesson. I think most of us are familiar with the slang term that we use from time to time, scapegoat. A scapegoat is a person or a group made to bear the blame for others or to suffer in their place, according to the dictionary. Smart children understand the value of finding a scapegoat to blame so that they can still get their way without having to take personal responsibility for their actions. For instance, take Penny Holt as an example. Every year at Christmas, we are reminded how when she was three years old, she was told that she could not open her Christmas presents until Christmas Day, which is fine. She dutifully obeyed her mother. She didn't open her presents, but she did put all of her presents in the playpen with her little sister who managed to open all of Penny's presents for her. You know, it's a fairly easy thing to make your baby sister your scapegoat. The word scapegoat is the combination of two words, scape and goat. Scape being an archaic form of the word escape. We would come close to the meaning of the term scapegoat by remembering that in several ancient cultures, Goats were declared to receive the guilt of the community and then allowed to escape out into the wilderness. A modern group in South Africa, the Kafir, um, rely on a scapegoat in times of illnesses. A sick person confesses their sins and a few drops of blood from the sick person is dropped on the goat's head and then the goat is driven away from that area into a distant land. As you can imagine, ancient cultures picked up on this idea. And since it is the function of religion to help people find peace and harmony and forgiveness and reconciliation with their God, the scapegoat concept became a very popular one, especially in ancient Israel. It became part of their annual Day of Atonement. The Bible claims that the practice of the scapegoat is nothing less than a commandment from God himself 
because God wanted his people to be free from their guilt. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is still an important day in Judaism. But its roots go all the way back to Moses and Aaron. And you can read about the origin of that observance in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. Most of the animal sacrifices in the temple of Jesus' day were associated with taking away a person's guilt so that that person could be put right with God again. Lambs were especially connected with these sacrifices, especially in, when they remembered that the Passover lamb had caused death to pass over the families of the Hebrews the night that death visited the households of Egypt. But at Yom Kippur, bulls and goats were the animals of choice. One day, soon after he had baptized Jesus, John saw Jesus passing by and he said to his friends, Look, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John could have just as easily said, Look, there is the scapegoat of God. Especially when you take a good look at the Yom Kippur observance. And the writer of the book of Hebrews ties together lambs and goats when he was explaining the work of Christ on our behalf. Not only is Jesus the Lamb of God, he is also the scapegoat provided by God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sting of death. He is the scapegoat of God who has removed sin out of our midst by carrying it outside of the community to his cross on Golgotha. According to Leviticus 16, the high priest was supposed to lead this annual observance, this day of atonement, but first he had to take care of his own personal problems, his own personal guilt and sin. That was one of the problems with the old covenant, said the writer of the book of Hebrews. The sinful priest had to cleanse himself before he could intercede on behalf of his people. Not so with Jesus, the writer said, for he was the spotless lamb of God. In the old covenant, the sacrifice of a bull was made for the purpose of cleansing the priest of his personal sins. Then two goats were brought into the presence of the high priest. And the priest would reach into a jar, actually two jars, and pull out uh, lots which had been cast there. And he would decide in that way which goat was to be given to the Lord in sacrifice and which one was to be turned loose out in the wilderness. It was for Azazel, they said. The high priest would sacrifice the first goat and take its blood inside the Holy of Holies, a place in the temple that it was believed that God lived, a place that only the high priest could go, only once a year, and he could do that only after having purified himself by offering the bull. There in the Holy of Holies, the priest would offer the blood of the goat for the sins of the people so that they would be forgiven by God. And then the priest would leave the Holy of Holies and approach the remaining goat, which had been chosen by Lot to be carried out to Azazel, as they said. The exact meaning of Azazel is, is not known, but at one time it seemed to mean that which is out there beyond the inhabited world, a place where nothingness existed. Like we might say sometimes in defining our concept of hell as being a place that is totally absent from God, devoid of God's presence. So Azazel was a place devoid of God's presence. Later on in the history of the people of Israel, that word became associated with Satan, the chief of the fallen angels. It was his domain out there. So the priest would place his hands on the goat's head while he confessed every sin committed by the people of Israel 
during the past year. That might take some time, some years. And after the priest finished all the confession of sins, the scapegoat was led out of the community by someone designated for the job. And as the goat passed by the people, they would pull its hair as they shouted, bear our sins and be gone. The designated person continued his journey with the scapegoat out into the wilderness where the goat was usually turned loose. Sometimes it was allowed just to wander free out there. Other times it was thrown off of a cliff. But it was believed that through these rituals, the priest was first cleansed of his own sins and then the people were cleansed of theirs. Their sins were carried out of the city, out of the country, away from them forever. This was their assurance of atonement and forgiveness. At the end of the Day of Atonement, the people would sing and dance for joy. And Psalm 103 would be recited, especially verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. If you can learn anything from the ancient rituals of our Hebrew ancestors, it is that they were very conscious of the fact that God was holy and they were not. In fact, those rituals show that the people were very aware of their sinfulness. But the rituals also showed their belief that God himself had provided the people with a way of purification, a way to escape from their guilt. There was a way to atone for their sin and to be put right with God again. Their sins could be removed from them as far as the east is from the west. Now if you'll picture a globe for a minute, you'll realize that there was a reason that the psalm didn't say that God removed the sin from us as far as the north is from the south. We know how far that is. That's a finite distance. From the North Pole to the South Pole is precisely 12,415 miles and 96 one-hundredths of another mile. The Earth spins on its axis and the poles are 12,415 miles apart. But there is no East Pole or West Pole. You can go west, young man, as the saying says, and keep going west until you get all the way back here and keep going again. And you can keep going west for the rest of your life and you'll never get to the farthest point west. The distance from east to west is an infinite distance and God said he wanted his people's sin removed an infinite distance away from them. But the writer of Hebrews said that there was a basic flaw in the, in the Day of Atonement ritual and that was it wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't a once-and-for-all observance. It had to be repeated every year by sinful priests who themselves had to be cleansed first. This annual repetition didn't really make the people feel forgiven. It, rather, it had a way of reminding them over and over again just how sinful they really were. It took care of things on the outside of the body but it didn't make changes in the heart. Most of all, it was a shadow of the real thing, an earthly object lesson of something that God was going to accomplish in heaven and in our hearts. God was going to accomplish atonement for us once and for all by providing for us the perfect scapegoat. And that is what God has done for us in Christ, Hebrews says. It was not with goats or calves' blood, but with his own blood that he entered once and for all into the Holy of Holies, having won for us eternal reconciliation with God. And if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of burnt heifers were, when sprinkled on the unholy, sufficient to make the body pure, then how much more will the blood of Jesus Christ himself 
who in his eternal spirit offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice, purify your souls from the deeds of, of death that you may serve the living God, we read in Hebrews 9. Unlike the human priest, Christ had no need to make a sacrifice for his own sin. And then the Son of God carried the sacrifice of his own blood into the heavenly holy of holies, that place where God was that only the perfect priest could approach. And just like the scapegoat, Jesus was taken outside of the city to suffer on the cross, to die in the wilderness and be buried in a tomb. Hebrews 13 says, So Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. The crowd heckled Jesus, unaware that perhaps they too should have been saying what they said on the annual day of atonement. Lord, bear our sins for us and be gone, for that is what he did. Jesus, you see, was the scapegoat provided by God so that we might have the assurance of his forgiveness and new life in our hearts and the complete absence of guilt and shame from our lives. A few minutes ago, we sang a familiar old hymn, Just As I Am. I purposely didn't make that the last hymn because I thought you might be afraid that we were going to sing a hundred verses of it until someone came forward repenting. But in spite of its familiarity and emotional ties to us, I hope you heard the wonderful message. God loves you just as you are, without any plea or excuse, even though you're filled with conflict, doubt, fightings, and fears, spiritually poor, wretched, and blind, with nothing to bring to God except his invitation and Jesus' sacrifice for you. Just as I am, with Jesus as my scapegoat, I come. Then our last hymn is less familiar. Anne said she'd never heard it before this week. And I looked over the hymn book that Lynn Clark gave me when I first came here, and she had given it a C, which means this is at your own risk, preacher. <laughs> but it's a wonderful hymn. And it offers Christ praise for his work as the Lamb of God, his name is high above everyone and everything, even Azazel's devils. His name scatters our guilt and turns our hells into heaven, it says. His arms of love embrace us and would willingly embrace the entire world. The hymn closes by calling us, calling on all of us to make it our business always to proclaim to the world, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the scapegoat of God. Amen. Amen.